Father, we come before you this morning. We lift this time up to you. Father, we ask that you just open our hearts for what you have to say to us. Father, I thank you that your word stands true. Father, no one, no matter what is happening in the world, Father, we can stand on your word, we can focus on you, and we have security in that. Father, I thank you for blessing us. I thank you for keeping us. I thank you for always being involved in our life and being in our midst. We lift this morning up to you. We pray that you speak to our hearts and that we would be open to you, Lord, that we would be open to each other. Father, I thank you for all the women who have made the food, that you would bless it this morning and that we would have sweet fellowship. We just lift all these things up to you and ask that you bless it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the funny thing is, is when I start studying for this, I look, I always look at all of our books and I went downstairs and the only thing I could find was one little book and we usually have tons of books on things. So I pull it up and I never even read it. So then I study all the scriptures and I'm going through and a couple of days ago, I just opened it up. So I'm going to open up what is the opening paragraph in this book. God has a sense of humor. So, and I rewrote one little thing because it's old. I don't know when it was published, and I'm not going to recommend it because I haven't read it. Um, 1973. So that'll tell you. He's talking about checkbooks in the beginning. So our life cannot be judged by our checkbooks anymore, can it? So how we spend our money speaks a lot about our priorities. Um, that's why Jesus talks so much about money. So this is interesting. Um, and I'll jump in here. 16 of the 38 parables are concerned with how we handle money and possessions. That's a lot, isn't it? So, indeed, Jesus said more about money than about almost any other subject. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. Isn't that amazing? The Lord said a lot about it because he wants us to know his perspective on this critical area of life. He dealt with money matters because money does matter. <laughs> and that's our, that's our title. for Isn't God funny how he has a sense of humor about things? So let's start. Um, we start with trusting God. And I'm following pretty well the outline of your study and the scriptures in the study. So Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I wrote, money won't save you. The Lord saves us. Proverbs speaks a lot of the benefits of riches, but in the end, it won't help us. It is righteousness that delivers us. As you have heard before, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? So Luke 18.22 says, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. This man wanted to follow, but his riches were more important to him. And that's very clear. So Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. God is our protection. We can endure anything through his strength. David Guzik said that Yahweh, the Lord, is a strong tower. This is the only place in Proverbs 
where the name of the Lord is. And I didn't know that either. So it's found where it's, the name of the Lord is found. It signifies the attributes of God. Here, the power to protect us. Because of the name Yahweh, it represents his character in all its aspects. The believer can think about the aspects of God, of his character, and find a strong, safe refuge in him. There is refuge and protection in his name. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All creatures run to refuge for protection. And think, what is the alternative? What happens when we turn away and run away from God? We get into trouble, right? So, Proverbs 18.11. The man's wrath... A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem, a rich man foolishly trusts in his riches to take care of him, and that is where he thinks his protection comes from. This is contrasted to the righteous going to the Lord. If you trust in your wealth, it fails you. And then where are we then when our wealth isn't there? He thinks his wealth is safety. The Lord and the wise know this will not stand. It is an illusion to think that this is security and that we could find comfort in it because we cannot. It is not where we should be putting our trust in life. Jesus pointed out the woman giving from her little in Mark 12, and I'm just reading the part 43, 44. Assuredly, I say to you that the poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in from their abundance, but out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. She totally trusted in the Lord to take care of her. That's why she put in everything. Luke twelve twenty eight. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. If we are struggling constantly to make ends meet, ask God, is there something that you are doing out of disobedience or something that is hindering him? Sometimes he wants us to be content with what we have and where we are and to live with less. God truly wants to meet your needs, and many times it's more creative than something that you would have ever come up with. Sometimes we go around him and we stop the plans that he had to meet our needs. Um, and when he does these creative things, we totally know it's the Lord. It builds our faith, and it builds our testimony. So I have a really funny story for you. So in Albuquerque, there was this couple, and they believed their mission field was out on the road. He was a mechanic, and they kept a van full of parts, full of things for him to fix people's cars. Well, he would go out, and sometimes he would look for people, and sometimes he would just run into them, and he would fix their car. And his thing was he would tell them, I'm going to fix your car for you for free, but you have to listen to me. So he would fix their car, and he would witness to them. Well, this was their ministry. Whether they were together, they would talk to people, and they were on limited means. So them putting all their money into parts and things to fix people's cars was hard. So one day... She was upset. They had run out of toilet paper. And, and this is a couple I know, so I know the story is, is true. So they run out of toilet paper, and she's mad. She's complaining to the Lord, 
and she says something to her husband. She goes, we fix people's cars, we do all this stuff, and she goes, I don't, and excuse me, she goes, I don't even have a piece of toilet paper to wipe my butt. And she was mad, and he goes, honey, have you prayed about it? And she goes, no, I haven't. So he goes, let's, let's pray. So they asked the Lord for toilet paper. So um, lo and behold, a little while later, one of them was outside, and literally a truck is driving down their street. A box falls off the back of the truck. And all they had asked was one roll of toilet paper. That's all they wanted. The box falls off. They go out there. The truck drives off. He never saw them. It's a box of toilet paper. <laughs> so God has creative ways to meet our needs that sometimes we don't see. But sometimes we're not on our knees asking him for those needs. And I've been in situations where I was FedExing my house payment at the last minute. I was, had nothing to eat. And I didn't get on my knees to ask the Lord to meet those needs. So sometimes it's just getting on our knees and asking him. So let's go on to generous giving. Proverbs 11.24. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. This speaks to generous biblical generosity. When we freely give, God blesses us to give more. And when we don't give, our blessings can be held back. It doesn't matter what amount we give, but if we are stingy, it is wrong. If God tells you one thing and we do another thing, God sometimes tells you more than you think you can do. And Sometimes we just have to believe and trust him. We never lose when we give to God's work, but we need to be careful with who we give to. We research everybody we give to. Um, We look up their operating costs, how much of your donation goes to the actual cause. If it's an individual ministry, look at their personal wealth. That tells you a lot right there, what they're taking home. Be careful if you watch any of the TV evangelists. First, are they biblical? Two, how much of their message is about giving? If they're all speaking about giving all day, that tells you something is wrong. Three, what is their personal wealth? And this is something that you can easily look up on the Internet. Recently, I looked it up for somebody, and I kid you not, one of the guys that she was listening to lived in a 20 Five million dollar home, and he's begging for money. So be careful. Reach, research them, and ask people first. So Proverbs eleven twenty five, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. When we give, God gives to us. When we help others, we are blessed in many ways, and it's not always financially. Think of when you teach Sunday school. You learn yourself, and then you're around these kids that bless you too. So there's a lot of ways that we're blessed that are beyond what we think. There are many ways to give that are not monetary. We can serve, bless others with our gifts and our talents. Our time is our most valuable gift. Time is not replaceable. Money is. We truly need to trust God to provide. Whatever we have, we should give generously and we should give cheerfully. 
which leads us to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. But I say, who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We are not to give to receive. But we are to give not expecting anything in return. It is all his anyway, right? He has just blessed us with it. If we look at it as our paycheck, my things, you become possessive of it. And if God asks you to give it away, it becomes harder because you think it's yours. So we're just caretakers of it. And when we're a caretaker, it's easier to give. God does not want us to give a tithe or to help others out of necessity. He wants us to give it willingly and with joy. It may be this life that we are rewarded, and it may be in heaven, but it shouldn't matter. And I think it's better if we, we are rewarded in heaven that it's done in secret. But you cannot outgive God. If you figure out your need first and then you tithe, it never seems to work out. But if you tithe first, and then you pay all your bills and do everything, it always seems to work. God is wonderful how he works that out. And if you've ever tried that, that you figure everything out, and then you go, oh, I just have this much for tithe, if you're ever really tight, it doesn't work that way at all. So God is good. And it comes down to trusting God and giving in joy. Proverbs 22.9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. When we see a need, it is a blessing to give. God blesses us so we can bless others. He also wants us to look for opportunities. Pray, listen, and look, but be prepared to act too. It speaks of giving of his bread to the poor. Specifically, God wants us to feed others. So it's homeless shelters. It's disaster relief. It's making meals when there's a need, when somebody has a baby or when they've had surgery. Um, there are many opportunities, and we are in a very loving flock that is very generous with each other. James 2, 15 through 16 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give to them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? God wants us to be generous. Let me ask you, what has God blessed you with that you know he wants you to share? And it doesn't always have to be money. It can be your talents. It can be your time. It's, it's cleaning the Sunday school. It's anything that God has laid on your heart. If he puts something in front of you, maybe it's something that he wants you t to give. So, love of money. So, Proverbs thirteen seven. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. You cannot buy health. You can destroy it with money, but you can't buy it. Friends, you can't buy peace, friends, longevity, and many more other things. You cannot buy what is important in life. You can be very rich, and you can be very lonely. Morgan saw the key to this proverb in its use of self in both the first and the second lines. To make self rich is to destroy the capacity for life. To make self poor by enriching others is to live. Our example and the one who makes himself poor yet has great riches is Christ. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So this is our greatest example. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own, your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I think this one is very clear and it's important. If we work and overwork our whole life, we miss out on life. We miss out on our kids. We miss out on the things that are more important than working. Of course, we should work to provide for ourselves and our family. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. You should work. Um, Proverbs teaches us about not being lazy, but it also talks about work and wealth not being an idol, and that's where that turns into. Life is balance. When you lose balance, it's usually because we've made something an idol. There are some wonderful scriptures in our homework. I'm going to read just a snippet from Matthew 6 kind of starting 19, and then I skip through, because that one's a really good one. Go back and read it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your, is where your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon, money. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father know, knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God doesn't promise us our wants. It's truly a blessing when he does, does give you your wants. Contentment. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. I wrote, It is better to be reverent and mindful of the Lord than to have much and be tangled in things. Having less is a simple life. Taking care of less is simple, and it's sweet, than having a lot and being miserable. When you have too much and take care of it because it becomes time-consuming and it becomes complicated, the commandments tell us not to covet, and it is repeated over and over in the Bible for a reason. When we set our eyes on what someone else has and what we do not have, we take our eyes off the Lord, and it separates us from him. It's, it's down to being content with what he's given us. And this is something that's hard. You look at advertising, you look at a car commercial, and you go, yeah, I like that car. And then you see somebody else driving that car, and you go, yeah, I like that car. You know, I've done it. We've all done it. You know, you go into somebody's house and they have decorated beautiful and you go, ooh, I could do that. You know, I wonder if I could look for this, look for that. We're always looking at, at everybody else. I mean, I look at people and I go, oh, she's so thin. <laughs> you know, and I look at them wearing something. And I go, ooh, that'd be fun. I mean, but we have to be careful. There's a fine line between appreciating something else for somebody and being joyful about them having it and us wanting what they have. So it's a fine line and it's keeping our focus on the Lord and having joy that other people have things that we don't. So let's see. Um, 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 through 10. 
So let's start with six. Now godliness and contentment is great gain. The word for contentment here is atarkia, and I'll probably butcher it, but that's okay, meaning a complete self-sufficiency, a frame of mind completely independent of outward things. Material riches do not bring happiness. Happiness is a state of mind from contentment. Material possessions in and of themselves do not corrupt. And Paul made this very clear. So, for we brought nothing, seven says, for we brought nothing into the world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Eight, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Is that me? And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The desire for, for riches is more dangerous, dangerous than the riches themselves. There are many who are rich in the Bible and they were not in sin. We can only really be satisfied in Jesus Christ and spiritual riches, not, maternal, uh, not material ones. 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is wrong and, and separate us from the Lord when our priorities are out of order. So one of my favorite scriptures in life speaks of contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's something that we probably all have that memorized. But it's the bit before that tells us, are we content when we have nothing? Are we content when we have a lot? Paul knew both need and abundance, and I have learned contentment in both. This has always spoken to my heart. I grew up in a way that most people would call poor. I was raised by a single mom, and we did not receive child support. So we lived with family and friends when I was young. My parents divorced when I was six, and we moved all over the country. And we lived in uh, somebody's summer home in New Jersey, and all the girls were very, very rich, and I was not. So I got invited to one party. All of the girls had all these nice party dresses. I had my little simple school dress on. I never got invited to another one. <laughs> they looked at me. But, you know, I knew we were poor, but we had necessities. God had blessed us, and um, we moved to Albuquerque when I was nine. And we did live very, very simply. I remember things being tough, um, and we were very careful. We had a small black and white t TV the whole time I grew up, and I know some of you are younger, you don't. You look at black TV and you go, I'm not watching that. And when I went off to college, I had no TV. So it's funny how we live. So when I went to college, life got hard. My mom and I did without, so I could go. The state paid my school and my supplies. My mom paid for my apartment. And my dad, who had never supported us, committed to $50. And $50 back in the 80s covered my food, my electric bill, my uncle and aunt paid for my gas for my car. And anything else I needed, it had to come out at $50. Well, it lasted three months. <laughs> and 
my dad stopped sending it. So I was so embarrassed to tell my mother. I didn't want to tell her because she would go, I see, I told you so. And I didn't want to hear that. So I lived without. I lived without food. I lived very simply. I ended up passing out one day because I hadn't been eating. And it was my pride that I had to die to, to go to my mom, to go to people, to go to my aunt, and ask the Lord. And the cool thing about it was somebody was anonymously sending me $20 through my grandmother. And she wouldn't tell me who. Well, I found out later it was my stepmom, my dad's second wife. And she felt like she was a Christian. She felt like the Lord told her to send me money. And this lesson stuck with me forever. If the Lord tells you to to give something to somebody, to give them money, to give them anything, you obey and you give it to them because you are so blessed when you do it. So I've kept this lesson through my life. I, I try to listen to him and I try to help others as he tells me to. I try to be obedient. So hard, hard attitude towards money. Proverbs 22.2 The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Those who are rich and those who are poor have the same creator. We read in the scripture, James, about having no partiality. I had a friend years ago that I loved to shop with. I'd known her for six years. Well, she married a very rich man who was older than her. And all of a sudden, she had all this nice jewelry and a beautiful Rolex. And all of a sudden, when we we were shopping, they paid all this attention to her, and they completely ignored me. So it was funny. I saw then. And you can tell. You dress up, you dress down. You get treated differently. So... It is funny how people are partial, but God expects us to treat everybody equally. So he's watching us, and we are supposed to love and respect each other, no matter rich or poor. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. There are poor that are perverse, and there are rich that have integrity. The contrast makes the point that it is better to have integrity with nothing than to have much with no integrity. Proverbs 28, 19 through 20 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. I know we probably all have had this happen. But when my kids were growing up, it seems like we were constantly coming home with things we hadn't paid for from the store. And it was big when it was Target. And we would come home, I would figure out that we hadn't paid for something, and we would go take it back. Well, my daughter um, paid attention to this. And one, it's, it's a wonderful witness to the person at the store, because they can't believe that you're returning something and asking to pay for it. And then it makes an impression on your children. So my daughter, it was so fun. The first time it happened to her as an adult, she gleefully went back to the store, told them she needed to pay for her socks, and then she ran home and she told me what had happened. She was so excited. So you're being watched. Your children watch you. Your grandchildren watch you. And that's how they learn. So, And it's fun to pass on those financial things to our kids and grandkids. So Proverbs 17.5 says, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. 
We are to love each other as Christ loves us, not to treat anyone different, no matter what we have or what we don't have. The Lord loves us all the same, and that is our example to follow. Okay, so Jim and I grew up, and I'm going to try to tie this up quickly. Jim and I both grew up without. And he's done well at work, and we've done, we're, we're doing okay and we're comfortable. We have learned to do both good in both states. Um, we still carry our frugal ways in our life, and we can, you know, we, we're very practical because of how we grew up. Um, when we were first married, he put me on a really strict budget. And it's funny because I had been making the money, I had the house, but he had the really good job. So, but he gave me a grocery budget, and I had so much a week, and that's what I had. We had $10 allowance, and I know you've talked, Claudia, about your allowance and how, you know, you would buy syrup with that. But it's funny how we were kept on a strict budget. So when uh, we were building a house in Albuquerque, and um, I used the freezer and the pantry for months, I got really creative with my meals. And I was creative anyway. I got creative with coupons, with sales. I made that money stretch because it was tight. And three little kids. So my pantry and my freezer, I looked at what I had. And for months, I saved up because I wanted new things in the house. I didn't want to take all of our old stuff. So I saved up $1,000 before we moved into the house. And my husband was amazed. He freaked out. <laughs> and he said, I'm cutting your grocery budget. You're not getting that much money. And I explained to him, we have to replenish the pantry and the freezer because we moved with almost nothing. So um, it's funny. Uh, I lost my place. <laughs> my, and it worked for us. We, we were really tight. It worked for us. So we lived within our means. My first point is it's good to learn how to set a budget and truly to live by it. Not spending um, on credit, not buying things, not eating out when you do not have the money to do it. Set goals. If you want a new car or you want to travel, save up for it. Basically, do not buy anything that you do not have money to pay for. Save. You never know when things come up expectedly. Medical bills, the water heater breaks, you know, kidneys, braces, all those different things. I remember it all belongs to the Lord. It's important to tithe and to give to others in need. Pray over what you spend. Don't use shopping to make yourself feel better. It's dangerous and it can become a really bad habit. Take a Dave Ramsey course or something that can give you the right tools. Trust in God to provide, but don't expect to be your piggy bank, when, um, especially when you overspend. He does not bail us out all the times when we're bad. It's a lesson for us. Did I say pray over everything? I still pray over everything. It doesn't matter if I can afford something or not. I still lay it before the Lord and ask him to be over everything. Um, and I ask him to be over everything we've been blessed with. Let's finish with Mary of Bethany. And I know I'm running long, so let me try to finish up. So, um, I am going to share. There are two times that Jesus is anointed. One time he's anointed on his head, and one time he's anointed on his feet. So if you read the different accounts, you'll figure out, I read, read, read. But this is the account with Martha's sister Mary, 
and its anointing his feet. We learn from reading through the accounts she was very dedicated to the Lord. I read that the best ointment is preserved in alabaster. The value of the perfume and its identification as nard suggests that it was an expensive family heirloom or it was from her dowry. Mary took a pound of the very costly oil, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. It was customary when you had a guest that you would anoint their forehead with a dab of oil. So this speaks of her value of the Lord, that she would anoint his feet with this precious oil, and then she wiped his feet with her hair, and she let her hair down, and that was not customary um, in that time. They didn't let their hair down in public. She did, she did not tell them what she was doing or why. She did not explain it as she did it. And she didn't defend herself either when they questioned it. How many times do we want to talk about what we're doing for the Lord when we should just be quiet? Mary gives us a wonderful example of doing without a word, serving in silence. And I like what Spurgeon said. You must sit at his feet or you will never anoint them. He must pour his divine teaching into you, or you will never pour out a precious ointment upon him. So I'll repeat that because I really like it. And I had to read a couple of times. You must sit at his feet, or you will never anoint them. He must pour his divine teaching into you, or you will never pour out a precious ointment upon him. Father, we come before you. We lift this time up to you, Father. We pray that you give us sweet fellowship. And Father, I thank you for all the women who prepared the food, the men who prepared the coffee. Father, I thank you for Matt for giving us worship this morning. And Father, I just pray that you uh, just bless this time, bless our fellowship, and Father, that we would open our hearts and our lessons. Father, I thank you for all these ladies coming out. And Father, I just, I praise you this morning. I thank you that you are Lord over everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.